Father, we thank you for the perfect love of Jesus, which casts out all fear, and uh, we pray that you would help us to come to better know the love of Jesus this morning. Help us to come to know your love better found in your Son. Uh, Help us to better know you through your Son. We pray that you would pour out your Spirit on us to those ends, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 8, 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, I bet you've heard it before, uh, the truth will set you free. It seems it's often quoted in movies and TV shows. Sometimes it's meant to be profound, uh, sometimes as a kind of gotcha, and uh, sometimes as an ironic joke. Uh, What do people mean when they use these words? If they mean it seriously, they mean uh, if you know, if you face, if you accept the facts about yourself, about your life, about your relationships, you won't be stuck living in denial, pretending life isn't what it is, or avoiding the reality that seems to haunt you at every turn. Reality is stubbornly persistent. If you try to live in a fantasy world, reality will come back to bite you. And while there there is truth to this general thought, it's just not what Jesus meant. He wasn't coining an aphorism, but making a bold, personal claim. So, what does it mean? The truth will set you free. We're going to ask three questions this morning to get to the bottom of this. Uh, One, why? And three, Two, what is the truth that sets free? And three, when will the truth set you free? So why, what, and when? So first, why do you need to be set free? We are uh, looking at a short part of this conversation in John 8. Jesus is in the temple talking with a group of Jewish pilgrims who had come for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, The Jewish religious leaders saw Jesus as a troublemaker and a blasphemer. He broke the Sabbath and called God his Father. Worse yet, the crowds adore him. Jealousy is a strong motivator, and for them was the last straw. The religious leaders sought to arrest Jesus and wanted to kill him. And yet here Jesus was, uh, still teaching in the temple, because his time had not yet come. The father had a purpose for his son and that the timing wasn't right. It wasn't Jesus' time to go to the cross to suffer and die for sin. So John 8, 20 says, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him 
because his hour had not yet come. Now, some did believe Jesus, according to verse 30. They heard what he was saying. They believed his words. Again, Jesus was popular with the people. And so Jesus says in verses 31 and 32, to those who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you'll notice in just the very next verse that right off the bat, this rubs them the wrong way. Uh, They are willing to buy into some of Jesus' religious teaching. He's a good teacher after all. He knows his Bible. He's a lot nicer than most of the religious leaders. But the truth will set you free. And to be set free implies bondage. What are you trying to say, Jesus? Who do you think we are? We're not some common Roman slaves. They are offended by the implications. Now, pause there for a second. Notice something. They are willing to accept Jesus' words, some of his teaching, but they're only willing to go so far. Whatever uh, Jesus is offering, it has to fit in with their current self-image. And I want you to think about that, right? Are you willing to accept Jesus as long as? Right? Are you willing to accept Jesus as long as he doesn't mess with my image or as long as he doesn't mess with my schedule or as long as he doesn't mess with my finances or as long as he doesn't touch this area of my life or he doesn't demand that, as long as he doesn't say anything uncouth or distasteful or culturally inappropriate? Are you willing to accept Jesus within certain limits? That's, what, that's, that's where they are. They were willing to accept some of his teaching, but they wanted to stay in control. And as soon as he says something they don't like, they balk. So they answer Jesus in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, you've got to notice the irony here, right? The great event in Israel's history is the exodus. The Exodus is the story of Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt. Even at that moment, Israel was subjugated under Roman rule. What could they possibly be thinking? They have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, some think they, they can't possibly be thinking politically because, well, history and current reality speak against that. So perhaps they mean spiritually. Perhaps for once, They get what Jesus is saying, and they're on his level. And so they mean because they are children of Abraham, they're not in spiritual bondage like the pagans. They are free and have always been free. But even here, you just have to turn to the Old Testament to see it ain't so. The history of Israel is a history of Israel not only serving foreign nations, but serving their foreign gods. These people are in denial about their spiritual bondage and their spiritual heritage. They not only don't want to admit their current spiritual struggles, they they don't want to admit that they as a nation have ever been in spiritual bondage of any kind, ever. We are offspring of Abraham. Look at our spiritual pedigree. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? We, We grew up in Christian homes. We're members of the best reformed churches. How dare you suggest that we are in bondage? 
And Jesus' answer is one of the most profound and important and basic spiritual truths. And here's what he says. He, he begins it with his famous truly, truly formula, which means listen up. This is important. I do solemnly swear. And here's what he says. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, sin itself has never been a very popular concept and add slavery to it and Jesus seems to be only making things worse. But actually, I think if you understand this, the, the abstract idea of sin begins to take concrete shape. Why is it that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin? Well, uh, why do people sin? What is sin? Uh, there, there are different ways of getting at this. Uh, think, think about the first commandment. The first of the Ten Commandments is this. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is actually a window on all the commandments because if we are serving God, we will keep his commandments, which means if we break any of his commandments, we've broken the first. We put something else before God. If I dishonor my parents, I've put my will before God because God says, honor your father and your mother. If I commit adultery, I've put something like perhaps sexual fulfillment before God because God says, do not commit adultery. If I steal, perhaps I put love of possessions and material things before God because God says, you shall not steal. To sin is an attempt, at least, to dethrone God and to put something else in his place. To worship and serve some created thing, some creature rather than the creator. I've stopped obeying God's law and I've started obeying my law or your law or some law other than God's. This is what the Bible calls idolatry. Sin is idolatry. We make idols out of all kinds of things, right? We, we put our careers before God. We put our families before God. We put our happiness before God. We put our finances before God. We take good things and treat them as ultimate things and then they become controlling things in our lives. Why do we do that? Why do we worship these things? Why do we put them first? Because we think that we will get something out of it. Every idol, every false god promises something, some reward, some blessing. Every false god promises fullness of life. Now think about these lies. Right? If, if, you, if you can just find a fulfilling career, you'll be happy and have a full life. If you just get married and have a family, you'll be happy and have a full life. If you just follow your heart and go wherever it takes you, you'll be happy and have a full life. See, sin is seeking life outside of God. I've set something else up as God. I'm seeking life in that thing rather than in him. Jeremiah puts it like this, uh, Jeremiah the prophet, he says, we have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for ourselves. What's the problem? The problem is whatever the thing is, it cannot give you life. And so Jeremiah says, it is a broken cistern, a broken cistern that can hold no water. And so sin is seeking life outside of God in that which cannot give you life, cannot satisfy, cannot fulfill its empty promises. So you're serving something, something which promises life, but never delivers. It demands, right? You, you've got to sacrifice for your business, for your family, for your heart's desire. Idols demand, but never deliver. 
What is that? Well, that's slavery. Even autonomy is slavery, by the way, right? We think autonomy is kind of the, the ultimate freedom, but we ourselves can only demand. We cannot ultimately deliver. We're left having to gain life for ourselves. I make the rules. I make the promises. I have to fulfill them, but we can't bring the fullness and life that we long for. And so we are left slaving away after our ideals, our goals, our vision with no end in sight. And even if we attain all our hopes and dreams, we will find that these things do not satisfy. They do not because they cannot. They weren't created to satisfy, only to be tokens of our Father's all-satisfying love. Now sometimes people realize the futility of the path that they're on and so they give it up. But typically, they simply give it up for a different idol. They swap one idol for another. I I give up the idol, the service, the promises of the the corporate ladder for the idol, the service, the promises of family life. Or I give up the idol, the service, the promises of drugs for the idol, the, the service, the promises of N.A. I stop serving one thing, one dream, one God, and I begin serving another. But it's still slavery. It's still sin. I swap one slavery for a more manageable, more socially acceptable slavery. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You are slaves of the one you obey, Paul says. Now, you know, you can do your work in service to God. You you can love your family in service to God. You can budget and invest and save money in service to God. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But if those things are more important than God in your life, or as important as God in your life, you are slaves of the one you obey. You have set something else up as God in your life, and whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. Now that word practices in the ESV, that that kind of seems important, doesn't it? Whoever practices sin is a slave of sin. Jesus is saying if you habitually sin, if you, if you live a life of sin, if you are committed to a life of sin, you are a slave of sin. That doesn't really let us off the hook, though. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, we're all by nature's slaves of sin. Our tendency from the womb is to worship and serve created things rather than the creator. So the question for each one of us is, is what or whom are you serving? What is most important in your life? Is there some good thing that you have made into an ultimate thing so that it has become a controlling thing in your life? Jesus says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Have you noticed that that thing, whatever it is, it demands, but it never delivers? It demands your all, but doesn't seem to deliver on its promises. Do you feel the bondage? Are you tired? Maybe, perhaps, maybe your answer is no. You say, I feel no bondage. I'm not tired. I believe no empty promises. My life is good. Without God, without Jesus, everything's fine. Maybe, for now. But I promise you, it won't last forever. And I don't mean to simply be a downer, but the false gods of this age can't produce. They're like a pyramid scheme where it seems like you're getting somewhere, but almost everybody loses in the end. Sin is pleasurable, of course it is. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. That's the point, right? 
Of course, I I want certain things. Of course, I, I think they will make me happy. Of course, I can't imagine what would make me happier in that moment. That's the nature of sin. It makes promises, some of which it will fulfill in the short term if it can then hook you and draw you in. But at what cost? Half-filled promises that don't last, that bring destruction and devastation in their wake. Is it worth it? At some point, even if it is at death, the promises of sin will be shown to be empty. Everything you have worked for will come crashing down. We are, by nature, slaves, serving created things rather than the creator, idols, counterfeit gods of our own making, rather than the one who made all things. You might think, well, okay, but this slavery you're talking about, what if I just stop serving idols? If, I, if service of idols is slavery, they only demand never deliver, why not just stop? Well, that's the thing about slavery, isn't it? You can't just stop. Habitual sin is slavery. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? Those who are, who are still in the flesh cannot please God. They are slaves. What do slaves need? They need to be set free. You might have said to Israel in Egypt, just stop serving Pharaoh. Just stop. But it wasn't that easy. They needed deliverance from the outside. If you are trapped in sin, that should create in you a hunger for freedom. And if you have been freed by Christ, that should create in you sympathy for sinners still in the bondage and slavery of sin and in need of deliverance. And so this all brings us to point two. What is the truth that sets you free? Jesus says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, but the truth will set you free. And when people quote this verse, what truth do they mean? They they mean typically whatever the facts of the given situation are. Uh, By truth, we understand little more than just the facts. We take Jesus' words to mean generic truth which means we can apply this like an aphorism to any situation we happen to be in. But Jesus is not saying generic truth will set you free. Truth in John's gospel is used to mean the real, the abiding, that which is fundamental to reality versus that which is passing away. Not bad, but fading, temporary. So Jesus is the true bread, the true light, the true vine, in contrast to things which are real, bread and light and vines, but passing away. Jesus says the purpose for which he was born and came into the world was to bear witness to the truth, John 18, 37. Jesus came to bear witness to a reality more fundamental than disposable wet wipes and fast food. There is something real, something true, something abiding. There is a a real, true, abiding spiritual reality that undergirds all things that is more real than what we can see and taste and touch. Ultimately, Jesus came to make the Father known. Again, Jesus said in John 18, 37, he came to bear witness to the truth. But in John 1, 18, we are told that Jesus came to make the Father known. 
John tells us that he wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But Jesus says in John 17, 3, what is that life? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is the truth? It's the Father made known through his Son. The the true God made known through Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. The truth which sets free is not getting in touch with your feelings or being honest with your spouse or waking up to some social revolution. Those may or may not be good things. But regardless, they're not what Jesus is talking about. It's easy to see why people appropriate Jesus' words. They they do have a, a ring of truth about them, don't they? They feel like an aphorism for a generic truth. At times, they are applied that way, even in the church. And to come to know the Father through the Son, we must come to grips with other truths, right? With, for example, the truth of our sin, how we've hurt people, how we've turned from God, the misorientation of our hearts, our slavery to sin. But the truth of our sin on its own can only crush and destroy and fill us with guilt and shame. The truth that sets free is the truth of who God is and specifically what he has done for us in Jesus. That is what Jesus has been talking about after all. He's been talking about how he was sent by the Father and came from the Father to do the Father's will, to speak the Father's words and accomplish the Father's work. The truth of Jesus' words is his relationship to the Father as the one who came from the Father and is returning to the Father but who will first complete the Father's work on the cross by dying for sin. Here is the truth that sets free. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father by his death for sin and resurrection from the dead. Believe in him, and you will be freed from slavery to sin and the empty promises of this age, and reconciled to your gracious Father who has good things in store for his children. Why do we need to be set free? We are by nature slaves of sin, enslaved to sin as those who practice sin. We are all born into sin and pursue the emptiness of serving sin every day. What is the truth that sets free? It is the truth of the Father who sent his Son to make himself known and accomplish his work. Which brings us to our final question, question three. When will the truth set you free? We live in a day of do-it-yourself quick fixes, right? If, if something is broken in your house or your car, if you want, you can go online, you can watch a YouTube video and fix the problem yourself. No waiting necessary. Just do it. We like quick fixes. We like doing things ourselves. The problem is freedom Jesus style is exactly the opposite. Jesus does not tell us how it works, only that he will set us free if we abide in his word. First, only the son can set you free. When you feel trapped, stuck in life, addicted, dependent, enslaved, in bondage, where do you turn? To turn to created things is to exchange one bondage for another. To knuckle down and and work harder is bondage. To escape in a fantasy world of movies or video games or drugs is bondage. What does Jesus say? Verses 35 and 36. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. There is a slave and a, a son. Jesus' working assumption is that we all start out as slaves, slaves of sin. But if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is the son, the son of God who came into this world to give life to its fullest, John 10, 10. We hear the phrase, know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we tend to think knowledge is power. If I can figure things out, then I can make myself free. If only I can figure life out, I can make it work. The truth will set me free. And Jesus says, no, you by nature are a slave of sin, but the son can set you free. Now, I realize these are are pretty bold words for Jesus to say. In a few sentences, he insults the entire human race, calling us slaves, and then claims for himself a unique status, the son, and a unique ability to set us free. Finally, he leaves us only two options, either return to our slavery or look to the son. The son will set you free. You may think, okay, but but when? (laughs) When? I'm still struggling. I've believed in Jesus for years, and yet I'm still struggling with certain things. When will the Son set me free? Well, finally, we get to verse 31, the first verse where Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you abide in Jesus' word. Now, remember the context. Jesus has been teaching. The religious leaders want to kill him. But verse 30, some believed. Great. Now what? Jesus is not satisfied. He does not want mere believers. Some treat Christianity as a simple or mere belief, like the world is round or summer is hot. And they say, sure, I believe in Christianity. Some treat Christianity as a preference, like hip-hop versus classical music. And they say, sure, I like Christianity. Some treat Christianity as a lifestyle decision, like giving up sugar or committing to minimalism. And they say, sure, I'm doing the whole Christianity thing. Christianity is none of those things. Christianity is devotion to a person. It means hanging on Jesus' every word. Jesus said to those who had believed, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Not if you convert to Christianity, not if you hang out in a church, not even if you read your Bible and pray. But if you abide, remain, continue in Jesus' word. And some think that the promises, all the promises of Christianity should be instantaneous. And of course, some of them are, right? If you believe in Jesus, that moment you come to Jesus, you are forgiven of all your sins, reconciled to God the Father, freed from guilt, and become new creatures in Christ. In that very moment, you believe. But our experience of those things comes not because we prayed a prayer or raised our hand or confessed a creed. But as we abide in Jesus' word, as we hang on his every word, as we take it in, as we believe it, as we own it, better, as we let it own us, that is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk with him day by day. The great commission is to make disciples. Uh, How does that happen? Two things, according to Matthew 28, baptizing and then teaching people to obey all that Christ commanded them. And yet, lest you get the wrong idea, remember what Jesus has been saying, that the message that he has brought from the Father is fundamentally not about us doing, but about himself, the one who came from the Father and is going to the Father. And he says the work of God that we must do is what? To believe the one whom he has sent. 
Commit to Jesus' word. Listen to it, read it, memorize it, obey it. Hang on Jesus' every word. Why? Because you believe in him as the son of God who makes known the Father, who came to bear sin and bring eternal life. Cling to Jesus and he will set you free. And every day when you feel the pull of the idols of this age, turn again to Jesus who is the truth and find freedom and life in him. Find wisdom in him. Find joy in the Father's love in him. Find power in the spirit that he gives. Find freedom in the identity that he offers. Find purpose in the life that he calls us to. Find hope in his resurrection, which anticipates and guarantees our resurrection on the last day. Turn to him who is the truth, and he will set you free. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray that you would turn our hearts to your Son to believe in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.